Sims the freshman. Sims had to hustle it, and he's got it to give. He handles in. Oh, man, give. Touchdown. And now going for the end zone, and caught for the touchdown by Zay Flowers. Oh, he's coming pressure. He spins out of it. Now he's got to get rid of it. Has a receiver open to the end zone, and a touchdown. Into the boundary, Fitzpatrick juggled it, and it is intercepted. Divine Diablo comes away with the carol. And welcome to today's episode of the Pipeline ACC Podcast. I am Dan Siegel from ACC Content. I am joined, as always, by Jason Gibbs. Jason, another week in the books. How are we doing? Dan, absolutely great, as always. Can't believe it, man. We're week seven in the books, zipping along. Almost coming up on week eight, and basketball right around the corner, too. Yeah, and we will be, we had five ACC games this week, so we'll talk about that a little bit. We'll talk about the rest of the country, because there's this one thing on my mind, probably on the rest of people's minds, that I just want to very, very briefly discuss, so we'll get to that. And then, we will be doing our committee ACC basketball power rankings from 15 to 1, really short segment there. So we'll get that all done in this episode. Jason, you ready to start? Let's go with our helmet stickers first, as usual. All right. Let me start it off with my guy. Been talking him up. Had, had a few Twitter arguments about this guy because I have him ranked number one running back in the country over Beast John Robinson from Texas. And that's Mr. Sean Tucker for Syracuse. Now, the Orange don't pick up the victory versus Clemson. Uh, Dino Babers did his best to throw the game away, and it worked, but I digress. But our guy, Sean Tucker, 22 carries, 157 yards against a very stout Clemson defense. I know their offense is trash, but their defense is one of the best in the country. It's just kind of overshadowed by how poorly their offense has played. But really, Sean Tucker's been doing it all year, and he's a freshman. It's, it's incredible. Just a, another rock-solid game. So big ups to our guy, Sean Tucker, first pipeline helmet sticker of the week. Is he? Oh, yeah, yeah. He is technically still a freshman because I think he only played four games last year. So, he, yeah, he's still technically a redshirt freshman. Good call on that. Uh, Sean Tucker is also the greatest Twitter personality. I love <laughs> I love his uh, – every week he puts out a recap of his own performance, of his team's performance. I'll quote this one. From six hours ago, Sean Tucker says, Friday we lost, Syracuse 14, Clemson 17. I'm pleased with my performance, but not happy we lost another close one. I ran for 22 attempts for 157 yards with two receptions for 20 yards. And as usual, he says, with five games left, I'm just getting started. (laughs) Already broke the over on his rushing total this season, so... I know. For, for my uh, prediction to hit, where, which is under, he needs to lose a ton of yards in these next five games. So I, I, don't, know. <laughs> I don't know how that's going to work. He's going to have to get disoriented, run the wrong direction, and down the ball at the one or something, like it's a, a video game. But uh, just really hats off to Sean Tucker, one of the best RBs in the country. He most certainly is. I, I was with, the, I think, College Football Focus said in your replies, He's like, I don't necessarily think Sean Tucker is the best running back in the country, but it's not an unreasonable take. And right. I, and I think you you said you officially had him as number one. I I'm not arguing with you here, especially from my ACC perspective. I'm not going to try to push that. So, but uh, anyway, with Clemson, it's kind of just the same old, same old. DJ very inefficient passing, not really turning the ball over. And I guess not taking too many sacks, but just not moving the ball downfield. And it's the same pedestrian Clemson offense. I guess the one thing I do want to say with Syracuse and the reason they lost this game, Dino Babers screws up with clock management once again. Now this is the third consecutive time that Clemson, or I'm sorry, that Syracuse has lost a game by exactly a field goal. And I have this, the college football fourth down bot right in front of me. They had fourth and two from the Clemson 27. Uh, They chose, or they should have chose, I'm sorry, to go for it. What they did do was kick a long field goal where their kicker, Andre Schmidt, missed. 
but it was fourth and two. They had plenty of time. I think there was over a minute left, right? Yeah, I mean, even if you make it, you're giving Clemson the ball back plenty of time to score. Yeah. And beyond that, he quickly called a timeout to what? Tie the game so you save time for Clemson? It it was mind-boggling. The, the whole thing was just like a work of art in clock mismanagement. I mean, Andy Reid was sitting somewhere raising a glass to Dino Babers in that one. It was It was amazing. But... It's like, why are you playing for a tie at home against a, you know, Clemson's down, but this would have been a big win for Syracuse, a, a hang your hat on win. And I, I don't know, not even to mention Schmidt's kick was awful. It was terrible. He's supposed to be one of the better kickers in the country. He, it was way short and way to the left. I don't know. It was just disappointing, the whole thing. I, you, you don't play to you know, manage a loss or, or, or keep the margin of victory down. You just play to win, right? And you had a shot at home that the crowd was fired up. I don't know. I, I, I just think he's pro- Dino Babers probably isn't the, the right guy for Syracuse. I'm not sure who is. But a coach with a little bit better skill in managing the clock, Syracuse probably has two more victories right now. Also, uh, he didn't earn a helmet sticker because it was just one play. But how about that Will Spears, Will Spires dime down the field? That was probably a better throw that DJ's made all season. It's the it, uh, it was incredible. it was like in a double coverage. I don't know if you saw it. He pump fakes, he <laughs> pump fakes down the middle, throws a dime on the sideline, a diving catch or not a, a jumping catch into double coverage. It's like. Clemson, what are you doing? Just if you're going to go for it, go for it. I mean, it was it worked, but I can't imagine if you run that play with that exact same coverage and everything, you convert it much more than fifteen percent of the time. You, know, you talked about you know you briefly talked about DJU. Um, I when I'm watching him, it's strange. He, he almost looks like a statue, right? He he drops back like three-step drop, and then he's just solid, just standing there. He's not light on his toes. He just is like almost he's afraid to move his upper body. I, I don't It's the strangest thing. And then he airmails passes or he has a huge arm, yeah. but then it's just not translating. I don't know. I don't know the fix now. I feel like his confidence is shattered, and I don't know how to get it back. He ran the ball more, which I, I was glad to see that because I think that was a, a weapon Clemson wasn't taking advantage of because they used to do it with, with Lawrence from time to time. But, you know, Kobe Pace ran okay, and the line was better than it's been. But I just don't – I don't know how to fix who I'm going I think this season they're not going to see him do much better. I th- it's, we've, what, it's seven games so far, six games for Clemson. I yeah, mean, it's been the same old, same old. I don't expect really things to drastically improve in the second half. It's crazy. They're three and one in the conference. That's unbelievable considering how they've played. They could easily have lost three or four of those games. Yeah. And they have Pittsburgh next week. It'll be a huge game. We'll talk about that in our preview episode coming up later this week. They are underdogs against Pittsburgh by more than a field goal, which I believe is the first time since 2014 that's the case for Clemson. So pretty interesting note there. But I'll give you my first helmet sticker. It's going to be Israel Abanakanda running back for the Pittsburgh Panthers. Kenny Pickett had kind of a pedestrian day. The wind was blowing heavily. It was Difficult conditions to throw the ball, not to mention you're facing one of the best secondaries in the conference in Virginia Tech. But Pittsburgh wins comfortably. It was undoubted the entire game, 28-7, to and that was only that close because of garbage time. And Pickett only 203 yards on 37 attempts. But Abanakanda, finally, a Pittsburgh running back, breaking out. 21 rushes, 140 yards. Good job by the offensive line as well to facilitate that and give Pickett all of his time. So, so Israel Banakanda finally getting the necessary carries that he deserves, and look what he does. Yeah, I mean, and we can talk a little bit about this pit game. 
it's they really, really have to be kicking themselves over that Western Michigan game because right now I think they're they're what are they twenty third in the in the latest AP rankings. They would be right up there with NC State and Wake, probably top fifteen, if they just hadn't have blown that game. And I know that's a lot of shoulda, coulda, woulda trademark, of course, by Pipeline uh, ACC podcast. But all you can do now is just keep winning out. You're undefeated. And you have a big game against Clemson. Interestingly, the game started out, the line first came out at pit minus two and was steamed up over the number. So that tells you there's obviously some sharp action on Pittsburgh. So we'll see how that see how it, you know pans out with you know Clemson in their first underdog status, as you mentioned, in a long time. But can guys like Abana Kanda and we already know about Jordan Addison and our guy, Coach Marion, and his wide receivers doing the job. Kenny Pickett, we've, we've busted on him all year about being 43 years old. But, hey, he's getting the job done. And really, I, I tweeted this out. You know, we, we, we're literally one Western Michigan loss away from having serious conversation about Kenny Pickett for Heisman. So hats off to him. He stayed the extra year. He did the work. He worked with the Mannings. And the results are paying off on the field. Pitt. Uh, I can't remember. I saw, I think the, I can't remember which, which simulation it was. Gave him like a 10 or 15% chance of making the playoffs. Mm. So that might be a little presumptuous, but stranger things have happened. Yeah, this is, I guess, the year where there's going to be less quote unquote qualified playoff teams just because it's kind of cannibalism at the top. Mm like the basketball thing we talked about last season, and that's kind of the case with this year in football. I don't see Pitt making the playoffs, but I think they have uh, around 75% chance to make the ACC championship. I don't see really any team with a tremendous path in the Coastal. There's only three other teams, or I guess technically four other teams, that have two losses. There's Virginia, who's probably the biggest threat to them, but they have to win out, including games against Pittsburgh a game and Virginia Tech. There's Virginia Tech, who's 1-1, one one, okay, but they are not looking like a very good team. And they're, they just lost a head-to-head matchup, so they're going to need Pitt yeah. to lose twice. Oh, yeah, that's true, too. And then there's Miami, who's 0-2, so that's a large hole to climb, and Georgia Tech doesn't look fantastic at 2-2. Two two. So I really see it as... Pittsburgh's division to lose is crazy to say this early in like a coastal division, but I think that's the case. And then regarding Virginia Tech, Braxton Burmeister, I don't know how else to say it. He's just not very good. He's just not getting the job done. He could not have the arm strength to throw against that treacherous wind, which Kenny Pickett was able to do, plus use his arm effectively. And the crazy thing is, I look at the average depth of target, one of my favorite stats to kind of put into context for quarterbacks. He led the ACC this week, 13.2 yards average. So he's trying to throw it downfield all the time, just every play, make a big play when he can't really hit his checkdowns. It's almost like I'm watching the Jets twice in the weekend. (laughs) Once on Sundays with Zach Wilson and once watching Virginia Tech with Braxton Burmeister because it reminds me of the exact thing. Yeah, you know, uh, our guy, uh, NCAF 24-7, put out a, a great tweet and said, you know, Justin Puente chased off Hendon Hooker for this. And really, that's, that's true. Because think about how great Tennessee's been. You know, cons- I, I mean, it's relative, of course. Tennessee has just looked so much better on offense especially once Hooker took over, you know, with Joe Milton earlier in the year and obviously later in the game last night, they didn't look great. But, yeah, I mean, because they're, you know, Tech's defense, Virginia Tech's defense isn't bad. And they have, you know, Trey Turner. They have some guys that could, you know, maybe make some plays. But it doesn't matter if you can't get them the ball. And, you know, teams are – just daring Braxton Burmeister to beat them, and, and he can't. Also, last year they had an elite run game with Khalil Herbert and Christian Darrisaw on the offensive line, some others. They lost some offensive linemen. 
and their running backs are not nearly as good. So that's not helping it out. You can't just bail them out with a great run game. And so they don't have things to open up the pass, and they don't have things to open up the run. Just a bad offense in general. Agreed. All right, helmet sticker number two for you. For me, I'm actually going to go with uh, Ty Chandler running back from UNC. Not because he's on my fantasy team, although shout out Ty Chandler. Love you, big guy. But he's kind of putting together a, a, a kind of a sneaky good year. You know, he had 18 carries, 104 yards, two touchdowns. And I feel like every week he's making some long play, whether it be a screen pass for 75 yards and a touchdown uh, or, or just, you know, he, he had the big game against UVA a few games ago, 198 yards, two touchdowns. But really, out of the last five games, he's had four rock-solid games. And I think his overall success has kind of been overshadowed so, by uh, so much disappointment in the Tar Heels as a team. And this game, notwithstanding, because even though they won, they tried their best to lose it. But I'm just giving it a tight channel. I, I like to shine the light on the guys that are, are having a good season and maybe are going under the radar. And I think Chandler's one of those guys. Now, he's not some world beater. He's not going to Heisman. He's not Sean Tucker. He's not Beast John Robinson or Kenneth Walker the third or anything like that. But for you know, all intents and purposes, he's had a, a really solid season. And if UNC had half a defense, <laughs> he'd, he'd probably be getting even more national spotlight. I think Chandler has been ha- – like, I, we're comparing him maybe too much to Javante Williams and Michael Carter, and those two guys, especially Williams, were just special. And Chandler is just a regular quality running back. So that's kind of maybe where some of the spotlight is lost a little bit. But, yeah, I mean, here's one thing I noticed, though. This game was really poorly played on both sides. I think we kind of expected that, but it's just weird because Miami-UNC preseason was the spotlighted game as the de facto Coastal Championship. Huge game. Going to be super exciting between two ranked teams, all that. So it was just poorly played, in my opinion, especially Sam Howell, because we talked about how, you know, with Howell, it's it's either big throws down the field or sacks. Those are kind of the two things that happens with him. Well, this game, how was Mr. Checkdown? Average of three yards per target. That is very low. That was actually lowest in the ACC. Not very Sam Howell-like. So I guess their game plan kind of worked against Miami. That's only because Miami's just so bad at tackling and so bad preventing explosive plays. So it's just UNC just exploited them with making like they exploited their weakness but it wasn't because of how great their strength was it it was just i feel like two bottom tier conference teams and one team came out on top yeah agreed and i know that is yet another heartbreaking loss for Manny Diaz going to be difficult to see him lasting especially as these losses continue to pile up i saw a tweet from a, a hurricanes account where it showed him hours after the game he had come back onto the field was just sitting near the stands staring at the field like he was catatonic and i just thought yikes that was just a brutal i mean because they had they're in field goal range that the bare minimum it should have gone to overtime and just a deflected pass intercepted and tariel's held on but you bring up a, a great point about sam howe and really how far his stock has fallen this year i I think there's now existent possibilities that he comes back to school. Maybe I'm wrong, but I I mean, his draft stock is plummeting. It's Rattler-esque, if you will. But how Mm -hmm. about this? Speaking of, I brought these up. uh, I'm going to tweet this out later. But here's the preseason 2021 Heisman odds. Number one, Spencer Rattler. Number two, DJ Uyunglele. Three, Bryce Young. Okay. Four, C.J. Stroud. Yeah, maybe. Five, J.T. Daniels. Six, Sam Howell. Seven, Derek King. Eight, <laughs> Keaton Slovis. I mean, that is an insane list. We're eight deep, and you're really only one realistic guy. I mean, maybe you could throw C.J. Stroud in there. But 
you know, guys like, I mean, look, look at guys like Bijan Robinson. He was 25 to one. Those, those have been unbelievable odds if you got them that early. Even guys on here like Mackenzie Milton, 40 to one. I mean, just really an insane list. I mean, because the, the list would look nothing like this now. I mean, the, you know, it would be, I mean, I don't even know who you put. I, you put Bijan probably number one, Kenneth Walker up there, maybe Bryce Young as well, maybe Matt Corral, but really just an amazing free fall for both Rattler and Sam Howell. Yeah, it's, it's just like as much as we've had lack of dominance at the top in terms of teams, we've had even more of that being the case in terms of players. So, very interesting. I, like, Last year, there wasn't a clear-cut Heisman. It ends up being Devontae Smith. But that was because there were three elite players, three guys that you could easily give the Heisman trophy to. That's just, I feel like there's a lot of very, very good players. Kenny Pickett belongs in that tier, by the way. Mm-hmm. But there's nobody that's like normal Heisman level to me. Yeah. Anyway, um, I'm going to get my second helmet sticker out of the All way. Right. I'm going to get mine. To Omeka Amezi, NC State wide receiver, NC State winning 33 to 7 over Boston College. Thought the game would be much closer, so props to NC State. Amezi in that game only had two catches for eight yards. But that second catch was a very important one. It broke the record for NC State all time in terms of reception. So props to Omeka Amezi. He is a historic. NC State wide receiver, and he's been there for a while, but it's just, was now four years? Maybe this is, looking at it right now, this is the fifth year that, NC, that Emeka Amezi has been a relevant receiver in the NC State offense. He's just that guy that has the X factor, that ability to make spectacular catches. Also, Dan Carter, that was very strange. I don't know if you guys saw that, but he was in coverage against a Boston College DB. The ball went off the CDB's back. He apparently didn't interfere with him, but the ball was just, like, it bounced away from him, and Amezi just grabs it. The BC DB doesn't even realize that the ball's in his hands. Amezi, I'm sorry, Carter barely realizes it, but he's like, oh, wow, I have the ball. Walks into the end zone. It's a touchdown for NC State. We've seen some bizarre catches, and the Dontavian Wicks one, against Miami is that's going to be an interesting debate. Which one was more bizarre? Which one was more impressive? Yeah. Agreed. I mean, really let's shout out NC state because you and I both picked Boston college plus three really thought they were going to give NC state fits. Just didn't happen. Wolfpack went in there and handled business started out that, that Carter catch kind of jump started them. BC quickly tied it up, and then that was it for their offense. It was, you know, was it 26 unanswered points from the Wolfpack after that, 33-7 to stomping. And, yeah, I feel bad. Again, we've we've talked about it before in our award-winning podcast. I really wish Djokovic was healthy because I really think BC could be a top 15, maybe top 10 team this year. Uh, But, you know, they're just not without him, unfortunately. They just don't have enough firepower. And uh, NC State taking care of business, looking good. They have the inside track. It will be interesting because I don't know if you've seen the the line yet for this upcoming week, but NC State is a dog going to Miami. Mm-hmm. That's definitely something we'll talk about. As yep. far as Dennis Grossell goes in Boston College, I feel like Grossell has, if anything, regressed since he came in 2019 as a walk-on coming in. I think it was for Anthony Brown and taking over for his injury. And he was capable, not a top five, seven QB in the conference, but able to move the ball downfield and let his playmakers really decide the course of the game. I think he's almost a liability now. Or yeah. I don't think he's I think he is. So he it's probably the reason why now the defense gave up 33 points, but you're playing against a pretty high powered offense. So to put up only seven, you're very unlikely to win the game that way. 
Yeah, and that's just going to wear out your defense over time. It doesn't matter how great they are if they're on the field, you know, minute after minute after minute, drive after drive, because your offense is three and out, three and out, three and out, then the best defense in the world is going to tire. So, yeah. And once again, Devin Leary goes under the radar. He has another solid, not eye-popping performance, but getting the job done efficiently. He's, I still believe he's a top three four quarterback in the conference, and people just have to recognize that. Yep. Even with Dracovic included. Mm, nice. I'll, all right, I'll give it, all right, off the top of my head, we're going to go, no particular order, my top five would be Armstrong, Pickett, Leary, Owl, and Dracovic. All right. And you could order the five however you want, because I don't know mm-hmm. how much emphasis you want to place on recency, on overall, on on potential, on talent, but those got to be the top five. Hartman, Cunningham, close behind. Those are great quarterbacks, too. Mm. Deep conference. Yeah, we talked about that, though. Uh, so, let's see. We had one more game last weekend. We had the annual slaughtering, uh, or at least it seems, of Virginia over Duke. I think that's seven straight for the Who's over Cutcliffe squad, and this time it went by 48 to nothing. And that is going to bring us to our down bad of the day. They ask you how you are, and you just have to say that you're fine when you're not really fine, but you just can't get into it because they would never understand. Down bad is me. (laughs) I confidently, very, very confidently picked Duke plus 11. And not only did I do that, but we have our double-digit dog who we choose to pick outright, and if they win, you get a two-point bonus. I had Duke in that. They lost 48 to nothing. So And they were your lock, too. And they were your lock. <laughs> they were my lock. So I am most certainly down bad in that game. Actually, in terms of the entire course of the betting competition, I was able to take a uh, – ta- I was able to take a four, two-and-a-half lead – on you over the week and I tied it up at 45 overall. We both did pretty poorly in the ACC. I just did much better in my non-ACC. So there is that, but regarding this game, Duke just, they honestly look like the worst team in the conference. There was a little bit of spark there. I think their D-line had, like she has shown a little bit. They beat Kansas and Northwestern. Okay, this is a Still a bottom-tier Duke team, but at least they'll compete, and they just are not doing that anymore. Credit to Brennan Armstrong. Once again, 364 yards, um, but Dontavion Wicks is incredible. Jason, I'll, I'll let you take the course of this discussion, whether you want to go to how pathetic Duke looked or how UVA might be bouncing back. Yeah, well, you know, Broncos kind of rallied the troops. They they skated on thin ice for a couple games. Could have easily lost the Miami game. Probably should have. Could have lost the Louisville game. That was a little bit more difficult of a field goal at the end of the, the end of the game for the Cards. But they didn't. And you know, he just head down, march on. And Armstrong's playing out of his mind. Probably the. Heisman of the conference, maybe, if we if we gave out such an award. But Duke has Duke is, I mean, to borrow a line from the great Dennis Green is they are who we thought they are, right? They this is kind of the, the team we envisioned to start the year. You know, their over-under total was four and a half. We liked the under. And for a while there was it looked great. And then Duke rallied as okay, well, maybe. You know, they're going to right the ship and maybe David Cutcliffe, this won't be his last year. And now they're 0-3 in the conference, 3-4 and overall. You know, Mateo Durant did all he could, 17 carries, 82 yards, but obviously no touchdowns. But that really wasn't his fault. Gunnar Holmberg didn't look great. Riley Leonard was, you know, came in as in kind of mop-up duty. I don't know. It's It's bad. And I'm sure they're in Durham. They're very eager to turn the page and on, on the basketball season. You want to know what just epitomized this game? Well, actually, there's two plays that kind of epitomize this game. 
The first happened early in the first quarter. I think it was only 10-0 UVA. Armstrong throws a ball, bounces right off of a Duke DB's chest, and then Billy Kemp just camps under it and gets a 25-yard gain. Second <laughs> play was there's 228 left in the game. The game is already 48-0. Duke finally, oh, yay, we get to score a touchdown. We get to ruin the shutout. Mm-hmm. So they throw a 14-yard pass, Riley Leonard to Jarrett Garner, 14-yard gain. UVA backups to just work really hard to keep him out of the end zone at the one. Backups are working really hard for UVA defense. They stuff Jacquez Moore at the goal line for no gain. Second and goal at the one. Okay, we still have three more chances. The snap is fumbled. UVA recovers it. They run out the clock. It's 48 to nothing. Obviously, the game was long, long over, but I feel like those two plays just epitomized the game for Duke. Yeah, agreed. Because I saw Duke. I, I mean, obviously the game was over, but I was just kind of keeping like a loose eye of what the final score was. And I saw them driving, and I thought, okay, they had the goal. They had it like first and goal or whatever. So, okay, well, they're obviously going to score. At the bare minimum, I, I wondered if they'd kick a field goal just to break the shutout. And then I, I wasn't watching the game live. I had my eyes on other stuff. And uh, all of a sudden, I just see a game over, 48 nothing. I was like, oh, man, I have no idea how that happened. But I, I'm assuming the Blue Devils blew it, which they did. But you know, just think about it. This is their schedule. At Wake, Pitt at home, at Virginia Tech, Louisville at home. Miami at home. They have a few home games there, but I I mean, how do you get two wins out of that group? I, I just don't think it – I don't know. Maybe Miami at home if Miami's imploded and they fired Manny Diaz and the whole program's in chaos, maybe. But I don't know how you get another win. So under four and a half is looking good. Also, one more thing on Armstrong, our factoid of the day. Factoid of the day. Brennan Armstrong now is only 1,769 yards behind Deshaun Watson for the ACC single-season passing record. He did that in 15 games. Let's just assume that UVA plays 13 games. They make it bowling. Armstrong only needs an average of 295 yards in his remaining six games. His current average is 403.4 yards per game. That is incredible. Lake Toho Who is courtesy of that stat. That's really great, and that's great for anyone that has them him on their fantasy team. Which would be me. Oh, it would be you. <laughs> that you would say that. Oh, but, you know, it, it's, you know there, there's, there's been times where the the who's running game wasn't working. Brendan Armstrong's like, screw it. I'm just going to throw it till my arm falls off. I don't care. I'm going to somehow rally and win this game. And they've been doing it. So really hats off to them. Yeah. You want to talk about anything else? In, we're running a little bit low on time, but anything else on the rest of college football? I, the, I just wanted to touch on one storyline, and that is, come on, Tennessee fans. <laughs> that is disgusting. I... I I was watching that. It was a very close, good game at the end, and the fans just – it's not just one idiot. It's a plethora, tons of idiots just throwing stuff on the field, putting the cheerleaders, the band, the opposing players, Lane Kiffin in danger. They almost had to suspend the game. They couldn't – they didn't have the – their officials didn't have the authority to do that. But they get a – whatever the opposite of a helmet sticker is, that's what the Tennessee fan base gets for me this week. Yeah, that was a tough look. You know, nothing excuses that sort of behavior. I mean, especially, you know, it's one thing if you're throwing a water bottle. Again, it's not excused, but you're hooking a golf ball. I mean, you could you could do some serious damage, especially from, from you know, the upper deck or something. So it was really an embarrassment. This is not an excuse for their behavior at all. There were some atrocious calls that went against Tennessee in that game the the fumble that was returned for a touchdown and given a touchdown and then just out of the blue just wiped off the board and they gave the ball you know back to Ole Miss saying I guess Corral's forward progress had stopped that was just really egregious doesn't doesn't come close to describing it and 
you know, again, no no reason to throw stuff on the field, especially you could hurt somebody, but it was it was bad. And then it didn't help matters with how the game ended. Tennessee drops the winning touchdown. And then on the last play, for some insane reason, Joe Milton just runs out of bounds as if the game was going to keep going, even though there was no time left. I don't know. It, it was a it was a bizarre game. It, and really that that display kind of marred it. But it also kind of it's going to add to the lore. And the next time Ole Miss comes into town, if Lane Kiffin's the head coach, which who knows if that's going to be true. It's gonna be it's gonna be like entering Thunderdome. Well, yeah. And we now look at uh regarding the rest of college football, just a handful of undefeated teams. Georgia, Cincy, Michigan, Oklahoma State, Michigan State, Coastal, Wake, SMU, San Diego State, UTSA. So and I believe is Michigan State in there too? Yeah, Michigan State's in there too. So yeah. Not a lot left, but there will be some undefeated team, I think, probably Coastal, that goes undefeated, doesn't make the playoffs. There also will be one or two lost teams in the playoffs. That's just how it works. Oh, well. But anyway, let's move on to basketball. So we're going right. our top 15 in the ACC, our 15 through 1 power rankings this season. Jason and I both admitted ours. We averaged it out, and this is what we came up with. So, Jason, who are we looking at? For number 15. Looks like Pittsburgh. You want to kick it off? Yeah, the Panthers, they just, I know they need to show uh, steps of improvement with Jeff Capel, but I look at their roster and I'm just not sure they could quite do it. They don't really have anybody that I believe is even close to like a, a first team, a second team, or third team all ACC status. I don't even know who they're. Best player will be is it was going to be Ethel Horton, Nike Sabandi, maybe John Hughley takes a big step up. But you look at every other roster, and there's a little bit more signs of hope. So that's Pittsburgh. Number 14, Jason, we have the Boston College Eagles. Yeah, Boston College obviously, you know, hired uh, Earl Grant in the offseason uh, from Charleston. Our guy, Brevin Galloway, came with him. You know, hopefully he can score on the perimeter. Just four and sixteen last year, and really, there's only one way to go uh, up. And I don't know if it's going to happen this year. They might be a little bereft of talent this year, but I think at the bare minimum, Eagles fans will see the players play hard for Earl Grant. That's all you can ask for right now. All right, who's number thirteen? Thirteen, we have NC State, North Carolina State Wolfpack. I'm sure a lot of people don't think that they are. This low, but I guess you agree with me. I'm just not super high on them this year. I just, they obviously they kind of struggled down the stretch last year. Now they've lost a couple of their top players. Jericho Hellams is who I presume will lead the way this year on offense. Manny Bates on defense. I don't, they, they just don't have too talented of a roster. And I think depth is really where they're lacking as well. Yeah, agreed. It, it's it. We might this might come back to bite us, but I think just right now, this is where they're. This is where we have them slotted, and we'll see. You know, obviously, a lot of games that well the entire season ahead of us, but but we'll see. But for number twelve, we have Clemson, and so you know, obviously, Alamir Dawes is coming back, but Amir Sims is gone, and with Clemson, the defense is always good. The offense. They, they can't they can't just slug out these games. The offense has to step up. They do have newcomers, David Collins from USF, you know, six foot four guard and Nas Bohannon. Love that name, Nas Bohannon from Youngstown State. So, you know, we'll see what they can do, but kind of a disappointing end into last year. Uh, can they kind of make some uh, improvements on that? Well, it remains to be seen, I guess. Yeah, number 11, we've got Georgia Tech, a huge drop-off from last year. But obviously, why are they going to drop off? Well, they're missing the lead force behind their huge season in Moses Wright and Jose Alvarado. So stepping up will be Michael DeVoe, who's on my first team, all ACC. They also have Jordan Usher, so a solid backcourt. 
front court is really where where it's not doing for me, and that's why I think they take a big step down. Yeah, agreed. It's just they're not a team. They're not like an upper echelon team that can just lose a bunch of talent and just immediately replace it. They're gonna they're gonna have to kind of find their way. Uh, for number ten, we got Wake Forest, the fighting, the Deektastic Deacons. We're gonna carry that into basketball season. Deektastic. Our guy Steve Forbes. I know you're really high on the Deeks. You you wrote an article thinking maybe they get to eighteen to twenty wins. Definitely encourage everyone to check that out uh, if you get a chance. We'll, we'll link it in the description. But, you know, Steve Forbes kind of wants to be like he, like he was at East Tennessee, kind of that almost positionless basketball. And they, they want to be bigger, but, you know, with shooters and slashers, be able to defend. Got quite a few transfers. So I, I mean, I don't think this is the year that they make the, the gigantic leap. They – they do have Alondis Williams from Oklahoma and, and Dallas Walton from Colorado. But I'm excited. I think, I think the Deeks could surprise people this year and, and make a little bit of noise. Oh, I 100% agree with that for sure. I Also, um, another name on the drop, Davion Williamson. The, um, he's a returning guard who I also wrote a piece on earlier. So check that out as well. And then number nine, we have the Miami Hurricanes, who I was originally low on, but actually progressed in the offseason. I think they could take a step up. They have uh, Isaiah Wong, who I believe might lead the conference in scoring this year. Um, Augusti is an underrated guy. And then Charlie Moore comes in, the kind of Chris Likes light, who will be a very good facilitator to allow Isaiah Wong to play off ball, which will be huge. So I actually did say in my old bold prediction article, Isaiah Wong, third team national all American. Yeah, that's gonna be great. I mean, you know, I think I think the Hurricanes they kind of, you know, dropped off at the end of last year, but I think they can I I think, you know, with Wong leading the way, can maybe do some damage this year. We'll see. I, I know one team that did do some damage last year is our eighth team, Syracuse. The fighting Bayheims, because there won't be not one Bayheim, not two Bay, three Bayheims. We're inching closer to our team full of Bayheims, a starting five of Bayheims. Brother Jimmy's going to join um, Buddy and obviously Coach Bayheim. Uh, Jimmy's transferring from Cornell. Take keep an eye on Benny Williams, the 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 newcomer from IG or IMG. Is a playmaker. A good passer, you know they they lose Alan Griffin and, and Dolage among others, but Syracuse has that blueprint, right? You know, you're gonna slog along. I'm sure they'll get in and like eleventh seed, and then hey, the, we're acting shocked, even though it happens nearly every year. They get two or three wins in the tournament and make make a run. So Syracuse coming in at number eight for us. Number seven, we've got Notre Dame, who. I had my bold predictions article as potentially going Sweet 16 bound this year. Uh, we talked about this a little bit. Their defense has, needs a lot of work, but they have made not only adjustments in terms of scheme, which we talked about a little bit in our interview with um, Coach Ryan Humphrey, assistant coach, but they've also made changes in personnel. They've added under the rim Paul Atkinson, who is a big-time interior defender, also could score plenty. And we know their offense is going to be very good. They're projected top five to ten in the country offensively. So that's where I'm going to go with number seven. That's what we're going to go with, number seven, Notre Dame. Yeah, can't wait to see the Irish perform this year. Can't wait to see number six, Virginia Tech. Now, they, you know, Mike Young, uh, great coach last year, really had the Hokies poised to, to do – I think bigger things than they end up doing, but they were just ravaged by COVID last year. They had multiple stops or, you know, stops in as far as like having to pause basketball activities. I think there was a stretch where they played like two games over 40 days. I mean, something terrible. They had a disappointing first round loss to Florida in in the, in the tourney. I think this is the year they kind of, we're going to have some consistency. We're not going to have the COVID stoppage, just hopefully. 
they get, you know, Naheem Aline back, Aluma back, and they do get Storm Murphy, who uh, comes over from the Wofford teams. I think um, Coach Young actually coached him there, but he was, you know, remember Fletcher McGee and some of those teams? Well, Storm Murphy was the guy distributing the ball. He led Wofford to second in the SOCON last year. I think it's going to be a big boost for the Hokies. Love Storm Murphy. Big addition. Number five, Louisville Cardinals, who I'm, I think I'm a little bit higher on than most. They, a lot of people don't like Chris Mack as a coach, but they do bring in some good talent, especially in their backcourt. The theme kind of for Louisville under Chris Mack has been transfer guards. And this year is no different. Noah Locke from Florida, Albert Ellis from Juco. And they still have some of those guys in their front court, Samuel Williamson, Jalen Withers, Dre Davis. So pretty solid, pretty versatile team. I think it could do damage if they're coached well. They definitely have one of the most talented rosters in the conference. And depth will be a little better this year. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. Love the pick. Love number four, UVA, Virginia. Got our guy, Kihei Clark, a Perry Ellis all-star. This is probably his seventh year with the Wahoos. Get the big-time transfer, Jaden Gardner from ECU. Can score, can fill it up. But your guy, the guy you wrote about in your bold predictions article, Armand Franklin from Indiana, possibly the leading scorer, question mark, for UVA. I think this is going to be a good Tony Bennett they, club. They do lose a lot of guys, Hauser and Huff and, and guys like that. Uh, but I think, you know, given time, they'll make it work. The pack line defense will be back, and they'll have a little bit, a little bit more versatility, a little bit uh, better scores. Overall, so I, I like I like what UVA is doing. I think this year will be pretty similar to like the the very very prototypical Tony Tony Bennett teams where they they're winning games sixty to fifty two every night. All right, number three on the list: North Carolina Tar Heels and Hubert Davis. We don't know a lot about him schematically, but he's done a lot to modernize this team, especially personnel-wise. Big Dawson Garcia guy. Hopefully Caleb Love doesn't shoot as much. Obviously they got Armando Baycott back. Very good at both ways. And then they have very good role players, maybe at a lack of depth, but UNC, I like what they're doing. And I think, while I don't have them, neither of us had them winning the conference, I definitely think they'll be up there. Yeah, I mean it'll be it'll be very interesting to see the Tar Heels post Roy Williams. You know, haven't had a new coach in well decades at this point almost. And it'll be interesting to see our next team, number two, the Duke Blue Devils, as this is Coach K's swan song. Is last year probably going to have quite a bit of uh, sugary saccharin moments as, as he visits places for the last time. So. If you have diabetes, you might not want to tune in to many Duke games this year. <laughs> I'm sure the announcers are going to be feeding it too. But just on the court, we got my guy, Mark Williams, poised for a huge year. Big guy down low. And then the newcomer, the guy everyone's going to be talking about, the probable number one overall pick, Paolo Banchero. What a great name. You know, 6'11", 250, compare him with Mark Williams down low. That's, that's, a, that's a big combo down low. And Banchero has you know, great athleticism. He can play out on the wing, and he, you know, he can drive and, and you know, run the floor. Key here is, I mean, Duke's going to be a top-10 team. That, that's already established. But really, the loss of Matthew Hurt, man, if you added Matthew Hurt to this team, they'd probably be pushing Gonzaga for the number one team in the country. That really big, and, and you know, we had you and I talked about it before. We thought Hurt was just going to just keep going up, and I had predicted on my bold predictions that he would win National Player of the Year if he stayed three or four years. And obviously, that went out the window when he declared. But Duke's still going to be good. They will, and the only reason, actually, both of us had this number one, number two combination 
Florida State number one, obviously. That's the team we haven't talked about yet. Number two, Duke. They look like the metrics-wise, talent-wise, the best team, but I think both of us have realized that so many times people like to put Duke at the top and they never end up just fulfilling their expectations, so just safely playing it with them at number two. Anyway, number one, Florida State. They do not have a superstar player this year, but they are loaded, just a pretty much a perfectly built Leonard Hamilton team, and I'm not sure they're top 10 in the country, but I think I like them to win the conference above this plethora in the regular season. Caleb Mills might be their leading scorer. Anthony Polite is back. They got Naheem McLeod coming in, Malik Osborne back. Matthew Cleveland, the freshman, he'll be very good. Maybe kind of play that same role Scotty Barnes played. Jalen Warley, I mean, they, they're loaded in terms of depth, and it's just perfectly built Leonard Hamilton team. I really like Florida State this year, and it might be an unpopular opinion, but we both got them number one, so I guess it yeah, can't be I, that popular. I like the Knowles. I'm, I'm hoping, I'm cheering for Leonard Hamilton to finally make that Final Four this year. I think this is the type of team that can do it. You know, obviously there's a lot to work out, but like you said, they're just going to be super deep, you know, can't – they won't ever have to worry about foul trouble, and they can kind of match up however, you know, whatever lineup you roll out, they're going to be able to roll out something similar. Leonard Hamilton is one brilliant man, and I hope he finally comes up with that as well. So we'll continue with the basketball coverage. We'll also, later this week, we'll come out with our football preview episode for Week 8, and might have a player interview. Just dropping a little teaser there, but... <laughs> With that being said, we uh, please subscribe to our podcast if you haven't already. If you are a loyal listener and you've liked what you've heard, please leave a five-star review. Follow us on Twitter. I am Dan at ACC Content. Jason is at Pipeline. And continue to interact with us there. But with that being said, once again, thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time on the Pipeline ACC Podcast.